With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon, live from the DraftKings Sportsbook and Wild Rose Studio. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Welcome back, 11 o'clock hour, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, and now 106.3 FM, off to Indianapolis we go. He's Scott Dockerman from The Athletic, he's there uh, covering the Combine, as well as paying close attention to the Hawkeyes that have made their way over, uh, and uh, Scott joins us. Doc, Trent and Ken, thanks for coming on, Scott Dockerman, how are you? Not bad, you know. It's uh, raining like crazy here in Indianapolis, but other than that, we're all inside and dry, so all is well. Uh, so give us an idea, Doc, and maybe it's, uh, I don't know if it's too early in the week, but uh, is it busier this year? Is the combine Does the combine continue to grow, I guess, from what you've seen? Yeah, from a media standpoint, it's grown quite a bit over the last oh, 10 years or so. I've started covering this event, but this year seems a little bit bigger. Maybe it's because the quarterbacks went today, and mm. you had a lot of the NFL GMs and coaches also talk, which uh, tomorrow there's only a few coaches and NFL GMs that go. So I think there was a bigger contingent today, and especially around uh, Joe Burrow. Um, yeah, there was, it was, they're wrapped around him probably 25 deep. Wow. And uh, by all accounts, he, he looked like he was enjoying himself, and I think he's going to he, he win some teams over. You know, Doc, I know you've been to this event many different times in the past. The media coverage continues to grow and grow. What it is today, the, the number of NFL people that ascend there, descend there along with, of course, the college people like yourself that are there uh, chasing stories, how different is it? And as it got to the point, I mean, it's not the goofiness of the Super Bowl and the, the hoopla that goes around that, but just the difference when you first started going to the combine compared to where it is today. I think it's just the sheer numbers of people. Uh, you know, t- typically what you have is you have about seven or eight podiums that are filled with players, and then you have tables for the, you know, probably the prospects that aren't going to go in the first couple of rounds. And, uh, you know, back, well, I remember when I went there with, uh, when Leonard Johnson was there from Iowa State, Marvin McNutt, and some of those guys. I mean, there was just seemed to be more room. <laughs> now it's, it's completely different. I mean, it's completely packed and, uh, Everywhere you go, it's hard to maneuver and move. But uh, you know, it's the you know the one thing about the NFL draft is it's the ultimate marriage between the two most popular sports in the country, the NFL and yep. college football. No so doubt. you've got people in Iowa who are interested in 
Worf, Sepineza, potentially Stanley. Nate Stanley, and then yep. you got people in Green Bay, Minnesota, all around hmm. the country that are interested in what prospects their team's going to draft. So it's uh, it, it complements each other wholeheartedly. Uh, Nate Stanley, I mean, as all the quarterbacks have done, he's gone through the measurable portion uh, of the combine. Is he going to participate in everything? Do you know, Doc? Will he throw? And and what are you hearing about the uh, former signal caller? Yeah, he uh, his plans are to do all of everything. Uh, you know, I'm sure he'd want to do some of the strength portions. He's uh, you know pretty strong. I think he's probably the strongest quarterback here. Uh, he he, he uh, measured in just a shade under six four. He dropped about seven or eight pounds since the season. He's at two thirty five. He feels a little more nimble, uh, nimble and mobile, and and uh, he's met informally with about twenty five different teams. So there's, uh, you know, he's got some interest. He had a nice conversation he recalled with Bruce Arians with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And yeah, he turned down opportunities, uh, I learned this last week, uh, to go to the Shrine Bowl and Senior Bowl because he really wanted to focus in on his mechanics. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think you could take that a couple different ways. I mean, he, he, at Iowa, he was focused a lot on his footwork. That's what Ken O'Keefe taught him. But but going to the specific coach in New Jersey, Tony Rassiopi, it's more about his mechanics and his and full body development. And I think, uh, you know, whatever it was, you know, in Iowa, it, it trained him well enough or he just wanted to be more specific and hardcore. Uh, you know, so that's what he's, he's done, and I think he feels pretty confident in, in his abilities right now. Doc, uh, a question that's certainly going to be asked of Tristan Wirfs is about some off-the-field stuff. He got an OWI on his uh, his motor scooter. He also got picked up a target uh, ticket for being in a bar underage. But is that any kind of impact that you'd anticipate? And I know you've talked to Tristan a number of different times. Seems like, at least on the surface, a very good kid. I'm sure he'll do a good job. You would think, at least, answering those kind of questions. Yeah, and I mean, there are a lot of other players who've done a lot worse. Sure. So uh, you know, he's going to get asked that by everybody. I mean, it is a it is an asking point, uh, particularly with the uh, OWI. That's never good. For mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you're on a scooter like he was, or in a in a van or something. So he's going to get asked about it, and he's going to have to explain himself. And you know, yeah, it was a dumb mistake. You should have never done it. And uh, you know, I don't think they'll wipe him off their boards or anything because when you get to know Tristan he's just he's a lovable guy and, and really a joy to be around so I don't think that's going to be uh, you know anything that's going to knock him down too much but he's going to have to explain himself and now's the right time I mean like this morning I sat in with Quintess Cephas and he's had you know mm, yeah. he was uh, acquitted of, of rape and, right. and that's uh, that's something that uh, he's, he has to explain and I would dare say that that's probably going to be a little bit more involved for, for NFL teams than what Tristan Wirfs did. No question about that. But let's stay with Wirfs because it's uh, it fascinated. I'm not. I'm a mock draft guy. I, I am uh, for whatever reason. I, I enjoy the mocks and and, and the uh, the variety. I guess that they bring. Doc. I mean, Tristan Wirfs. I've seen him on some of them as high as six, seven, or eighth overall pick. Pro Football Focus yesterday didn't even have him in the first round for crying out loud. What are you hearing? Is he a guard? Is he a tackle? And uh, are you seeing the same things that I am as far as the opinion? of where Tristan Wirfs is going to be taken. Yeah, I wrote a, a story about that. Um, just kind of the, the opinions uh, range. And, and really, you know, one of the guys that I talked to quite a bit, you know, Dan Schock with our lad scouting services, and you know, he said he's the top tackle on his board because he is so athletic. He, he came in at like 6'4 uh, and 7'8". You know, his, his arm reach was 34 inches, which is exactly what you want for that position. I, I think it's, 
it's simplistic and kind of dumb to say that he's going to be a uh, a guard right now. I, I think you know NFL covets uh, tackles, especially left tackles. And if you've got a guy with this kind of athletic pedigree, and I dare say he's going to wow everybody in the uh, athletic portion of this, that you're going to want to give him every opportunity to prove he can't play that. And so, you know, Daniel Jeremiah is one that's really kind of plugged him in as a as a all pro caliber guard. Well, yeah, let's give him some time. But let's see if he can't play tackle. Uh, as far as the mock drafts go. Uh, I think there's going to be a couple of teams that love him. They're going to see what he could do athletically, and then then from there they're going to, uh, you know, if he in two or three years if he can't play the position, they might slide him inside. But I think he's a top half of the first round guy. I, even though Art Bach draft had him at 23rd, which I was a little surprised with uh, from the beat writers, but uh, he's he's going somebody's going to love this guy and he's going to go pretty high. AJ Epinesa, he came on so strong at the end of last season. No surprise off to the NFL after his junior campaign. I, I just am a bit surprised when I hear and read some of those mock drafts and talk about maybe limited athleticism. Now, is he Chase Young? No, but nobody's Chase Young, certainly in this draft. But lack of athleticism, that that's a head-scratcher to me. Crazy buzzwords associated with him. I mean, you know, it, you get to the point where everybody's trying to say who what they can't do instead of what they can and yeah. in his case he's a big powerful physical guy i mean they would have written the same thing they probably did about jj watt and cameron hayward and and they're big physical guys without that quick burst off the edge and, and yet here they are you know perennial pro-, pro bowlers and i'm not saying that he's in their category yet but i do think you know he is a guy that that people are going to fall in love with when they meet um, you know, he had eight sacks in November on. Nobody else in, the, in Power Five had more. And uh, just, I, I think you're going to want to put him at, on the edge and let him stay there. And uh, so I, I think, you know, a couple of people I have talked to about him, you know, kind of say all say the same thing that he's got a really high floor. You know what you're going to get. He's big and physical. And I asked a couple of tight ends about it. And you know, Bryson Hopkins. I uh, just said, hey, which was the most difficult defensive end to block? He said, hey, Epineza, because he's so big hmm. and powerful. But he's a cool dude, and he didn't. Uh, he wasn't a jerk. <laughs> so hmm. I thought that was kind of funny. But uh, no, I, I I think he's he's going to be in the top half of the first round, probably as low as 16 to the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if a few teams trade back, like say Detroit. And uh, he might fit somewhere in between ten and twelve. Well, just, just plug in the tape of the Holiday Bowl because I know USC's left tackle is there, and I saw him ticketed to the Vikings in the first round yesterday. And if you're a Vikings fan, you're thinking to yourself, "God, I saw the Holiday Bowl. That's the last guy I want trying to keep Kirk Cousins' backside safe." But yeah, he's there, I think, Doc. And his name, for whatever reason, I can't pull his name out of my hat. Left tackle for USC, who Epinesa owned on that Saturday night or that uh, uh, Holiday Bowl in December. Yeah, you're right, uh, Austin Jackson. There you go. And, yeah, there's going to be quite a few offensive tackles go early, and and yeah, I'm sure he got it. He he saw enough of AJ Epineza to to know what he's all about, and and you know you look at the month of uh, November, and and one thing that always kind of gets me about the scouting process is this the, the the taking the context out of when these players make plays because you know AJ Epineza did everything asked of him to do against Nebraska with 14 tackles, five tackles for loss, just was a maniac in a really important time of the game. So I think in that you've got to be clear that, uh, you know, you can't just watch the film 
you know, agnostically, you've got to understand what is going on at that time of the game. And, and I, I think he's going to be just fine, and somebody's going to go, wow, I can't believe we got this guy at this spot. Pro Football Focus called Geno Stone the Saw most that. underrated player in the NFL draft. He maybe is a little bit of a tweener, not sure what side of the safety position he's going to go. Are you hearing anything at all about Geno? Not really. He, he doesn't talk until Friday. They're the last group. And I don't know that we will hear much about it. You know, I think he's he's going to be probably a later round guy. Um, you know, the tape shows everything that he's capable of doing. You know, one difference between him and say Ojemudia, uh, Ojemudia has position flexibility. He can be a corner. He can be a nickel. He can be a safety. Gino's probably a safety. Now, Gino did a lot of good things. He can hit. He can tackle in space in the alleys. He's got great ball skills. He's a little slight. I mean, you know, safe. I, I think he's probably going to be a late round guy, but I also think he's going to make a team if he's healthy and, and everything. So, so I think, uh, you know, between those two, they're, you know, the probably Ojemudia is in the fourth, fifth round range for Ojemudia or uh, for Geno Stone. Uh, you know, I would agree that he's been definitely overlooked, but, you know, his size and his position kind of dictate that somewhat. Hmm. St. Elmo's on the, uh, on the dinner plans when you're there? Steakhouse? Yeah, I got to save up for a few days of not eating in order to do that one, you know, to beach my per diem. <laughs> I need to go there one of these That's years. That's amazing. Uh, you know, but, but the previous other accounts, uh, they didn't allow that kind of a stop. Gotcha. Well, if you can, it's certainly worth it. Make sure you have the shrimp cocktail because all the cocktail sauce will blow you away. Doc, let's switch to basketball. Just a couple more minutes. We'll let you get back to work at the Combine. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Michigan State hosting Iowa tonight. As Trent has pointed out numerous times leading up to this game, it does and usually go well at the Breslin Center for the Hawks. Um, Tillman Gars is worth the price of admission. I think that matchup alone, I, I can't wait to see it, Doc. I think that the Hawks have a puncher's chance in this, maybe more than a puncher's chance uh, in this basketball game. How do you see it? <laughs> I, I've learned over the years that you just kind of expect a 15-point loss when you go there, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same thing. You look statistically at Michigan State, and they should be higher than what they are. I mean, they, they're among the best uh, in offense and defense. In the Big Ten, you got Cassius Winston running the point. He's terrific. you got Xavier Tillman in the post. He's really good. They've got great players. Um, you just wonder how they're losing so many of these close games. And, and uh, you know, a lot of it's going to depend on, you know, what's the, you know, does T.J. Frederick play? And if he does, how much and how effective he is? I, I, I like that when they have those three guys on the floor a, a lot, you know, Frederick and, and Wieskamp and, and Garza, because I think they got a chance at every game when they play. Uh, but, you know, I don't know how they're going to defend Winston. I just think he's going to be a tough matchup for them. And, um, you know, Garza's going to get his points. He's going to get rocked a few times. How much how do they, much do they call? I don't know. It's Michigan State. And, but I do know this, that Iowa's lost 20 out of the last 21 there mm. and by an average of 15 points. And, and really the last, uh, I think it's 16 out of 17 by almost 20 points a game. So it's, uh, you know, it's a, t- it's a house of horrors for Iowa. And, and typically what happens is that they get really physical with your best player. Um, they'll start calling fouls. Nizzo goes crazy. And then they stop calling fouls. <laughs> and that's when the run happens if we get to Iowa. So I wouldn't expect any less, but I do think if you've got Frederick on the floor, they've got a chance to compete. Doesn't feel like this is the kind of game that Wieskamp's finally going to get going on the road. You talk about that physicality. He's been taken away really the last couple of games, and even at home, though he had 13 in the victory last week, it seems like something's a little bit off with Joe Wieskamp. 
Yeah, it's called defense. I mean, they're really uh, they're really geared mm. to him. I mean, once Fredericks hit the you know has been off the floor, it, it's a total rational strategy for opponents, which is you know what Garza is going to get his. We defend him as best as we can. We're going to go after Wieskamp because he's the other guy that can beat us, and then let everybody else see what they can do. And and you know you're kind of surprised with that Ohio State game that uh, you know Pemsel and, and and Evelyn were able to do what they did. But I think if you're a coach, you're going to say we'll take our chances with those two guys every night rather than mess around with uh, with Wieskamp. And and uh, you know what though, that this is the type of game that he should shine. I mean. You know he's a, he's going to get physical play on the road in a hostile environment against a really good team. Go show what you're made of. Go make your shots. Go impose your will. Or or you know, and, and in his case, he really needs to start driving and draw, drawing fouls and make, making free throws. So um, you know, he may not get a lot of opportunities on the edge and on the perimeter, but make the most of them um, because you're going to need them. And Iowa's going to need them tonight. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. You can read him as coverage continues uh, all week long. Doc, when do you when do you come home? I'll be home on Friday. So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty busy week. And we've got our athletic uh, annual meetings here, too, in a few days. So, yeah, so we got both staffs from football, uh, NFL and college football here. And uh, so, yeah, I've got story on Nate Stanley coming out uh here in a few hours. Well, I really enjoyed the way you guys did the the mock draft. You had the you know the guy that covers the team making the pick, and then they would turn to whoever covers the college team that that player is coming from. In your case, you chimed in a couple of times on the first round. I thought that was a fascinating read. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Thank you, Doc. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Scott Dockerman joining us from Indianapolis. Zuba Mehente, Trent and I will go around the world of sports next. Got some opinions before we get out of here at noon. It's Miller and Condon. For, well, Trent's opinions on 1460 <laughs> for what they're worth. 1460 KX and Owen 106.7. may vary. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KX and O. And now on 106.3 FM. Like yesterday, but it was long ago. Hi, right, welcome back, Miller and Con in Des Moines Sports yeah, Station, fourteen sixty KXNO, now on one hundred six point three FM. Final guest on the BMW of Des Moines guest list here today is our friend Zubin Mahente from ESPN. We're going to go around the world of sports with Zubin. Speaking of that intro, the trend just played. Seems like yesterday. Seems like yesterday, Zubin. You were at WOI. Remember the good old days? Uh, take us back to the end because I'm. I I think your timeline matches up is with the, with the Wayne Morgan maybe the bad basketball that was on mm. display and we're seeing that now uh, with what's going on with this Cyclone team who desperately need a win. Steve Prom desperately needs a win tonight over TCU. Zubin, refresh our memories. Yeah, I want to go back before even Morgan. Although I was here for Morgan to Larry. And this is an interesting stat. If you go back to the 2001-2002 season, they finished that year 12-19. and 19. If I'm not mistaken, right now, Iowa State's at 11 wins, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So you're at a point where in 01-02, they were a 12-19 and 19 team under Larry. Now, keep in mind, two years Prior to that, guys, yes, I remember they well. Thirty-two games and were in the elite eight. Mm-hmm. So, in the span of two years, they had dropped twenty games from thirty-two to twelve. And what's interesting about that team, that twelve and nineteen team, that kind of mirrors today's Iowa State team, 
as I recall, and I actually looked it up, and I actually had some stats about it, is that one thing that I think really disrupts Iowa State fans today, you guys tell me, I've been listening to you, but I've heard Keith and other states as well, is their inability to really win games at Hilton Coliseum, you know? No matter how yeah. bad they've been, they've been able to do that. And I think I heard Bill Self say this year, that every game prior to this year, it felt like when they walked in, it was like a white knuckler <laughs> at Hilton Coliseum. That 0-1-0-2 Iowa State team lost to Iowa by 25. They lost to Drake at the Knapp Center by 14. They lost eight straight games in Big 12 play. And they were unable to really do much of anything. They knocked off Missouri, who was ranked at home. But when I look at this current team and that team, I sort of see the notion about how things are coming full circle a little bit. But I would tell you, obviously, Iowa State fan base is sophisticated. They're loyal. They're savvy. They know sometimes you just have to deal with these sorts of things. I will say this. Chrome this year, let's just say this year finishes as bad as people think. They get eliminated early in the Big 12 tournament. That would be five years on the job with three tournaments, two conference tournament titles, and three 20-plus win seasons. Just think about that for a second. As a point of comparison, you go Chrome, three tournaments, two conference tournament titles, three 20-plus win seasons. Greg McDermott, four years under the same AD, four years, now granted he gets the extra year, four years, zero tournaments, never more than 15 wins. So sometimes when you think about what Chrome has been able to do in a half decade, yeah, it hasn't been great two out of the last three, but if you compare it to some of his predecessors, like Larry at the end, and obviously there was more than basketball with Larry, Mm -hmm. uh, Wayne was kind of up and down, and especially compared to McDermott, I'm not absolving Steve Chrome of anything, but I think in totality it's not that bad. Kind of with that, Fred Hoiberg, did he spoil the fan base a little bit? I mean, Johnny Orr is whole, revered as he should be, uh, bringing that program and what they were. But still, over his 13-year run, they made five NCAA tournaments. It's maybe in a way the the idea of what this basketball program is 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 tainted a little bit because of Hoiberg. Is, would that be fair? Oh, I definitely try and think that's fair. I'm looking at his record right now. He was 16 and 16 in his first year, and I recall when he got the job, people were like. Don't take it. You've got this pristine golden boy reputation. Right. There's only things you can do to harm it. So he went 16-16 and 16 his first year. Never really coached at any level, so the fan base was supportive and obviously was going to be supportive of Fred no matter what. But then, Trent, they go from 16-23 to yeah. 23-28 to 23 to 28 to 25, and in his last four years, they make the tournament every year and got to the Sweet 16-1. So I definitely think that's the case. I think there is a tangential connection of Hoiberg sort of delivered from a lot of players, and I think a lot of people kind of expected Prom to do a little bit more uh, than he did. But I would also remind you that out of the gate, Prom went 23 wins, 24 wins. So I definitely think there is something there with Hoiberg, and I don't think there's any school in the country, <laughs> you know, that old cliche about following the guy. Mm-hmm. There's no place <laughs> in the country where following a guy like Fred Hoiberg is quite like what Steve Prom walked into. So I think you're definitely right. There's definitely a, a mental and physical toll that goes in there because. As much as Steve Prohm knew about uh, Fred Hoiberg and as much as we killed Fred Hoiberg. Yeah, yeah. When you walk in there and you look up in the rafters and you're constantly right. reminded, oh, that guy. <laughs> right. 
that takes it for Yeah, no, look, he did him a favor. He left Niang and Monty Morris and Matt Thomas, dot, dot, dot. But uh, fair points, good uh, good work, uh, good ana- uh, analytics, I guess, if you want to call it that, good stats to back up uh, Prome. Well, things are going to have to get better next year, Zubin. I don't think there's any doubt about that, and he could really use this one tonight. So let's go back to the weekend since we started on college basketball. What an unbelievable weekend, Zubin. It was so much fun to watch it all, and it unfolded starting at 11 o'clock in the morning. Game day is in Waco. Uh, and then Kansas Baylor was incredibly entertaining. San Diego State goes down to TJ Otzelberger. There's another name from the Cyclone past. Uh, they get beat, and then Gonzaga gets beat by, admittedly, a good BYU team. But what a crazy night that we saw all the carnage in the Big Ten at the top of the Big Ten. Uh, college basketball is bananas. It really has been this season. And I think, you know, most people sort of didn't really shift too much of their one line and two lines, especially the one line, right? Um, since the weekend. And uh, Arlen already had it pretty much basically the same. I think if Maryland would have won this weekend, he would have moved Maryland over San Diego State. That's what we had. Shelby Mast, our bracket guy, said the exact same thing as Joel Lenardi pointed out. So, yes, it seems yeah. accurate. Yeah, so it seems like everybody's on the same line. Good little stat to think about. Since 1979, when seeding began, there's never been four teams west of the Mississippi that have had the four number one seeds because obviously you know Duke's got the right. one, Carolina, Tennessee, yeah, Kentucky, been there. been there. Yeah, yeah, right. At least some of those three teams. Interesting. Uh, at least one of those three teams. But yeah, first time because um, it'd be Gonzaga, San Diego State, Kansas, and Baylor. It would be the first time in the forty years seeding to this thing um, that it, they would be all teams from the West. So I think that's just a little quirk, but I think it's interesting. And uh, one team that I would want to mention that we you know showed last night on Big Monday that isn't getting a lot of attention. We were sitting there in the meeting last night before the show and said, I think more people know about Dayton than Florida State. Because some people know about OB Toppin. You look at Dayton in the standings, they're like, wait a minute, what are they doing? And uh, Florida State last night was tremendous. Louisville is no slouch. I think that's the one team in the top ten that I think has quietly been there for a really mm-hmm. long time. And not a lot of people know about it. I think they're deep. State just comes at you in waves. Yeah, they're so deep. You know, I'll just say this on that game, Zubin, and I agree with you. I watch most of it. Uh, Malik Williams getting hurt early in the basketball game, twisting an ankle, 6'11 kid. I mean, clearly they missed him. No doubt. I also think that Mac is really building strong recruiting-wise. Jordan War has had a really tough month, too. That's something that I haven't really thought about for Louisville. He's had a two-point game this month. He's had, I think, a five-point game this month. But uh, you got to give Leonard Hamilton a ton of credit. Mm-hmm. He's never really mentioned among even the best ACC coaches, and he's been there for a really long time. And he, you know, old Big Eight guy with Oklahoma State probably deserves a lot more credit than he's getting. And maybe this year he'll finally get it. Zubin, so I'm watching you on SportsCenter last night and going through, watching you with the basketball highlights and bringing different people in. And then you get to the hockey segment. And the hockey segment with the trade deadline. Uh, I saw ESPN2 had the feed from TSN early in the day. Good call. With a bunch of uh, Canadians up there talking to boot everything that was happening in the trade deadline. And I chuckled a couple of different times in the five minutes that I was watching it. But for you, I don't believe you're a big hockey guy. How much research goes into it? How much are you reaching out to your hockey people that are on staff? What goes into a sport that you don't have the same depth and breadth that you do of the NBA, a college basketball, when you get into something like that? You know, it's funny. I was working with John Anderson last night, as you saw, and uh, when we actually did the hockey segment, 
John said something along the lines of, I don't care how many games we show, this is the biggest upset of the night. The trade deadline is made sports done. Can you believe it? <laughs> and it was one of those things where I chuckled as well, but on the surface, for our viewers, and you're right, I'm a casual hockey fan, certainly not like Ken or anything like that. The best way that we can promote or sell hockey is to just sort of say, here's something you don't see at the NBA tra- trade deadline and the NFL trade deadline, which is usually really, really quiet. And I believe the number last night, I think I said, Trent, was they, they told us officially from the National Hockey League, and this is how you have to get our viewers into it, because unless like a frontline A-list guy is traded, um, it doesn't really resonate much with our casual fans. But I believe the league reported yesterday that there were 32 trades made involving 55 players <laughs> on Monday. You know, <laughs> and so... That's one of those things. Maybe, Ken, that's an obvious you know, thing. Maybe that's like a rush deadline thing where you know, TSN's website crashes, like you mm-hmm. said, all that sort of stuff. But for our average viewer, would you say to them, can you imagine a day in the NBA where 32 guys would be dealt, Woj's hair would be on fire, <laughs> yeah. you would never be allowed to leave the set, and we wouldn't take a commercial. And 65 guys would be dealt on one day. You know, Anderson joked that, you know, sometimes you got to, and I guess half serious, you can only have one game in the league on Monday because you never know how many guys are swapping organizations mm-hmm. on Monday just to get to their destination on Tuesday. I believe there's only one game in the league last night. The Jackets won in OT. I believe there's 13 games tonight. So I think the best way we do it, Trent, is we just sort of say for the sports that you love and follow maybe a little bit more and have followed more over the years, think about the idea of 32 different deals being done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for the record, and I don't really know this, maybe you can corroborate this, uh, Barry thought the Carolina Hurricanes helped themselves more than anybody else. I just sort of nodded my head. I really didn't know what to say other than, okay, Barry, thanks. <laughs> yeah. No, they had a good, uh, they, look, they've had a good couple of days. They had the Zamboni driver win a game for him between the pipes, <laughs> and they made a ton of moves yesterday. No, no, no doubt about that. And great move getting uh, picking up the TSN feed. It's like a national holiday up there, the trade deadline <laughs> day in the NHL. It's absolutely bonkers. I want to switch gears because this topic is not going away, Zubin, and that's the Houston Astros. Uh, Tom Verducci, who's uh, he's terrific, as you know. Uh, he pointed out he went back to the 2017 Kershaw's start, and Kershaw, the knock on him, oh, his his, uh, his playoffs in his World Series, he's abysmal. Well, back in 2017, Verducci went back and chronicled this. He threw Kershaw through 31, 51 sliders and curveballs, and got zero swings and misses. Zip. Nada out of the 51. Uh, this story's not going away, Zubin. It continues, I think, to get worse. Yeah, I think over the weekend it was reported, I think NBC Sports reported that, you know, Crane took this sort of indignant, the owner, Jim Crane, took this indignant stance because he thought he was going to blow over by spring training. He had, you know, stuck his finger in the air, saw which way the wind was blowing, and really thought it would blow over. And that's why they sort of had that second press conference that was widely panned, but I think that the big issue for me, and, you know, Altuve getting booed yesterday, and now that's going to happen for the next eight months, you're going to have to deal with it. What I'm more upset about, not upset about, what I think is the wrong tack is Correa. Now, obviously, Correa has used some pretty foul language to discuss other players. Um, I think he kind of was alluding to Bellinger um, and sort of saying, essentially, if you don't know what's going on here, you need to shut the blank up. And then yesterday... Um, when asked about the booing, his answer was, what booing? What are you talking about? And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, he's trying to deflect. But I think when you kind of take the indignant nature 
it makes it worse. You're fanning the flame. I, I personally think, and of course I'm not there. We have had a couple of reporters there throughout the bulk of spring training there where they're in West Palm Beach. Yesterday when they played the Tigers in Lakeland. In, in my general opinion, as crazy as it sounds, I think you just circle the wagon and just use all of the negativity you're getting from Aaron Judge and Mike Trout and all of these huge players in baseball, fans at large, obviously all fans, you know, like you said, this isn't going away because there's a lot of heat. My bet, my advice would be to absolutely use all this. Dusty Baker should use it as fuel to get back to the 2020 World Series, which is what Altuve said they would go to anyway. I think that's the way to do it because I think if you're going to fight fire with fire and go out there after every game and be like, I didn't hear any bullets. What are you talking about? You guys are crazy. None of this affects us. Instead of just not dealing with reality, if they just sort of fuel themselves and say, listen, we're hated, we're the black hat, you know, and baseball has the white hat, and we're certainly not the white hat, we're the villain, I think they're better off taking that tack, being insular, getting together, and using it as motivation than instead of coming out after every game and denying they're hearing the booze and doing things like that. I actually think that's going to fan the flames even more. Again, it's just one day, but I don't see Korea changing his stance. He seemed pretty adamant. And I think it's the total wrong approach they're taking. Final thing for me, Zubin, uh, speaking of watching SportsCenter, you had a lot on Kobe Bryant and his memorial yesterday. It was incredible theater. The Michael Jordan story, I mean, making a meme uh, out of the awesome. meme. He really, Michael Jordan was as personable, I think, as mm-hmm. I've ever seen him in his life in that moment. Take us through and just finding the pieces that you guys wanted to play on SportsCenter. Yeah, the thing that I mentioned to our lot of uh, younger folks, and a lot of those uh, you know pieces of video, whether it's highlights or whether it's something like Jordan, is you know edited by a lot of younger people, and it's it's an obvious statement, but sometimes it isn't that obvious when you're 22 or 23. And I just said, listen, you know, I'm twice your age. I told some of the people yesterday when we were looking at all this stuff, and I said, no matter what you think about LeBron, and I love LeBron. And no matter what you think about today's contemporary player, for a large swath of our viewing audience, Jordan is still the company. Hasn't done anything on the court in 20 years, hasn't really been a particularly successful owner, but he is the compass Mm -hmm. for so many of our viewers. So what I said was, listen, we deal in a world of, you know, listening to people for a minute, a minute and a half. I said, don't short shrift this. If you have three minutes of combined comments from Sabrina Unescu, Gino Auriemma, Rob Polinka, Michael Jordan, Jimmy Kimmel, whoever it is, I told them, do it as long as you want. If it's two and a half minutes, make it three. If you feel like you need to go an extra 30 seconds, a minute, a minute and a half, do it. Because we're living in this world, you guys on the radio too, topic to topic, guest to guest, on TV, pace to pace, keep it moving. But I said, listen, you just want to show one clip of Vanessa Bryant and make it really mm. long, just do that. I said, sort of get out of our rat race pace every day of just going story, 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 and moving on. Take it slow. Take it deliberate. And whenever you think it's okay and you feel like you need a little more, go for it. Because as John said, John Anderson said, you know, this is going to be the top story on state-run news in China, mm-hmm. and this is going to be the top story in America, and they had a week of mourning in Italy. This is something that transcends sports and is going to be the biggest story in plenty of countries 
around the world. So I think our biggest thing was never short shrift Jordan because Jordan still is the voice for so many people uh-huh. and make sure no matter how many voices we have, if you feel like going a little extra, go a little extra because I don't think anybody's tuning away from that. Vanessa Bryant was so courageous. When I, I, I watched it live, I, I couldn't believe that she had uh, it in her to get through um, uh, the eulogy like she did. It was unbelievable. Jordan, as you mentioned, was um, you know, just just on Jordan, let's end it here in our final 30 seconds. I'm so glad you brought up this topic, Trent. Uh, Jordan, I don't think, I, I, where I'm going, Zubin, is I'm trying to equate when I was a boy, right, and I never saw Babe Ruth play. Babe Ruth had been dead for 20 years. But every all the kids my knew Babe Ruth. I'm wondering, is, is will Jordan be my generation's Babe Ruth, or maybe maybe this generation still has Babe Ruth? I don't know. Yeah, I think that's the way to definitely look at it. The other thing I think that really makes this poignant is that Kobe Bryant was the one player that was inextricably linked to Michael Jordan and LeBron James. I can't think of another player who would be linked to somebody like Jordan, a superstar of the past, a mega, 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 mega superstar of the past, and the mega, 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 mega superstar of today in LeBron James. So I think Kobe actually linked those two generations of players because of the mannerisms he had when sort of emulating Jordan on and off the floor, the way he spoke, the way he played. And then obviously the bond he had with LeBron James as a friend, and then obviously sharing the Laker uniform. So I definitely agree. Jordan is that guy. And Kobe is sort of the link between Jordan and LeBron. When you have that discussion of the best between those two, Kobe is actually linked to those two. And I actually don't think there's another player of that ilk that you can say that about. Simon, great stuff. Uh, enjoy this segment each week. I really do. And uh, this one's right at the top of that list. Great stuff, Zubin Mahente. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. Thank you. You got it, take it. Good to talk to you, Zubin Mahente. Great stuff there uh, with Zubin. Uh, did you see any of the of the, of the Bryant um, memorial? Just a, a moment of it live oh it, as I was uh, bouncing back and forth. And uh, just saw the cut-up, though, that they had. Watched a little bit more last night than after the games finished up. Mm-hmm. They had the replay. Yeah, they replayed on the Deuce, I yep, think. That's where it was. And uh, I was flipping there between Zubin on Sports uh-huh. Center last night and that. And it's tough. Tough oh, watch. Vanessa Bryant was unbelievably courageous. Yes. What a woman. All right, we'll take a time out, come back, finish it up. Uh, Miller and Condon with you until noon. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. And now in 101- org. I'm done. Just let it play. You just let it play? Well, I think we only have a few seconds left. About five left. All right, kxno.com. Contest link. You've got six hours. You want to win tickets to Penn State, Iowa, click the contest link. Uh, Win two tickets, Penn State, Iowa. Total points tonight's Michigan State, Iowa game closest without going over. Morning rush tomorrow at 7.15 has Tom Izzo uh, to help recap tonight's game. Prom and the clones get it done. I'm asking you. I'm not making that statement. You're, you're making I'm, I'm, you're, no, I'm your proclamation you. over there. Confident in Prom's boys. I just, you know what? This team really needs one. He needs one. He seems like a really good guy. Yes, that, that's the difficult part. I think about this for a lot of sure Cyclone fans. Is there? 
Kind of pulled in a couple of different directions. He needs this one tonight. They do. They beat TCU. All right. Now I know what you're going to say. <laughs> is it going to be close? No, no, it's not going to be close. No, no. I was going to get clubbed tonight. Do you think so? 88-65. Oh, that's too ugly. Trend 82-61. It, this is... This has got ugliness written all That's over. That's 20-plus points, dude. Okay, Michigan State has lost their last two games in the Breslin. You don't think Izzo's using that as motivation this week? Are you are you serious right now? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. They've, Iowa's got no shot. They are going to do everything that you I expect. knew Maryland beat them. Who else got them? Oh, what was the other game? Oh, I Illinois even... I'm looking at right yeah. now. I know it's not. That game was on the road. Uh, Maryland, Indiana, no. Penn State. Penn State, there it is, right there. February fourth, beat them by five. I That's didn't realize good. that trend. That so that is, you're asking if you if you're betting on the Hawks, you're asking for Michigan State to lose three straight at home. Not gonna happen. Tough hill. We'll be talking about a close Iowa State win. I like the four with TCU. Okay, and Iowa drubbing and Drake. They're gonna get pounded. I think at Loyola tonight. Yeah, I do too. Sadly, Iowa State gonna carry the banner tonight. They're due. Uh, Murph and Andy at 2, Fanatics at 4. Tom Izzo on the morning rush tomorrow at 7.15. Miller and Condon at 10. Thanks for being here. 1460 Cakes and 0106.3.